Good morning. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Amen. It's wonderful to see people going out to the missions field, obeying the command of the Lord and preaching the gospel, reaching the nations. Praise the Lord. A lot of things have been happening, I think, yesterday and today also. We have the wholeness and wellness program, and it has been a fantastic one seminar uh, that I heard, you know, and the people have been blessed. And last week, we had a fantastic seminar as well with Tom Eli, and uh, we had the introduction of the One Minute Witness. It's a fantastic uh, uh, faith-sharing tool a tool that will enable us, help us to share the gospel, to share our story, you know. And uh, many of us, we are kind of uh, 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 tongue-tied whenever it comes to sharing the gospel, you know, for whatever reason. And most of the time, we don't know what to say to people, how to, how to share the gospel. But with this tool, it has enabled us to do it in such a simple way practical manner, everybody can do it, it can be done anywhere, you know, and all it takes is just one minute, and uh, praise the Lord, you know, uh, uh, everybody can do it, from the young to the old, and uh, this morning, we have two of our sisters, I will just uh, invite them to just come and share with us what has happened, we encourage all those who have gone for the training to do it, to continue to practice and share their story, so one of them is uh, Judy Chua, shall we welcome Judy Chua as she just share with us what has happened since the training and how she has been able to share even her story. Good morning, brothers and sisters. You see, last Saturday, yeah, I, I paired with uh, Tina Russell and we went to hospital uh, university to share our faith with the people. So we went to up the eighth floor and we met this Chinese woman and so, uh, after conversing with her, we knew that she had just done her leg operation. And so, I begin my sharing with her. And I say, Auntie, may I ask you a question? And she said, oh, yes, yeah, sure. So, I asked her, what is the best thing that has ever happened to you? And very fast, she responded, oh, playing mahjong is my, the best thing in my life. And she said that, I don't care whether I win or I lose. As long as I can play mahjong with my mahjong kaki. Oh, I see. So then I take my turn. I say, oh, now it's my turn. Can I share with you the best thing that ever happened in my life? And she said, sure, go ahead. So I start sharing my witnessing. And I say, wow, there was a time in my life when there was no peace in my life. And then frustrated and life was so meaningless and so lost of purpose. And I don't even know where I would go if I, you know, if one day if I were to die. And then one day, I heard about this God who loves me very much and He forgives for all my sins. And I realized that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Oh, He's the living God. So I invited Him to be my leader and be my Lord and Savior. And so since I met Jesus, I have a sense of new purpose and fulfillment. I've experienced new joy and new peace new security and new destiny. And I know that now, one day, if I were to die, I will end up in heaven with Jesus. And I share that. If I had never met Jesus, wow, my life would be very miserable and full with bitterness. Uh, I will live, continue to live in guilt 
and lost the direction in my life. So we end up praying with her. Yeah, she allowed us to pray with her. And we met also another Indian woman. Uh, but after sharing the same thing with her, she says that, oh no, God are all the same, but we have to point Jesus to her. I just say that, oh, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Uh, he's the one and the only way, no other ways. So these two, they allow us to pray for them. And I found that this tool is light and easy. Uh, it, is, um, it is rather handy and not the heavy stuff. And uh, we can, whenever we go, uh, we can always bring these tools with us and share this tool with the people, to all kinds of levels of people, even the old and the young, even the, um, uh, the men and women, we can share with them. So uh, it is non-threatening even. Huh? The opening question is very encouraging because it talks about the best thing that ever happened in their life. And people usually, when they heard about the best thing in their life, they like to talk. Uh, they are very happy to talk about the best thing in their life, you see. Uh, so, um, after talking, let them talk, uh, talk, talk, talk. And then after that, uh, it's my turn to talk. Uh, and usually they don't reject. Uh, they will allow you to talk. So, it's the time that we can share our faith with them. And uh, I'm, I'm, I plan already. Uh, not only I will share this faith in my Jerusalem, that is my hospital visitation, but also I will, bris, I will bring these tools to the ends of the earth. To, you know, during my mission trip in Cambodia in next round. So praise the Lord for these new tools that I learned. Uh, and uh, may we use these tools for the expansion of God's kingdom. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Judy. Hallelujah. So powerful. The next person is Mei Chan. Mei Chan. Come, let's just welcome Mei Chan even as she shares with us even this tool that she's been using. Good morning, pastors, brothers and sisters. I'm honoured to share with you about this tool and I'm very excited. Um, it is a really wonderful evangelism tool. It's so simple, five simple steps that even a primary school boy, Pastor Gwen's son, Ryan, was able to use this tool to share with his uh, classmate last week. So um, two Sundays, two Thursdays ago, on the 14th day of Chinese New Year, my husband's eldest auntie passed away at the age of 91. And she had accepted the Lord two years prior to that. So that Saturday after the one-minute witness training, we went for her wake. One of the cousins um, confronted the daughter of the deceased. And she said, I have known auntie to be a Buddhist all her life. And uh, why, why is she having a Christian uh, wake service now? I have never known her to be a Christian. So the, the daughter of the deceased explained that her mother accepted the Lord two years ago. Uh, but the cousin did not accept this explanation. She said, that is the problem with all you Christians, all. Um, you like to convert other people, you do not respect other people's religion. So the daughter of the deceased being, being in mourning, and she was not able to handle these questions, she ushered her cousin to our table. And at our table, there was another Christian cousin, their cousin. So the other cousin launched into 
you know, the, the traditional uh, evangelism, which is Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with God. It's different. And um, Christianity is, with, is, is a relationship with this God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us and whosoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. So this, Chris, this cousin who, who was not a believer, a pre-believer, she got very offended and she said, you see, you see, this is what, you know, you, you Christians share. Um, I don't want to hear any of this. I've had a lot of Christians share with me and there's nothing new that I do not know. So I, I was keeping quiet all the while because I'm an in-law, you see. So, but then I uh, spoke up and I said, um, may I share my story with you? So she looked at me and she said, story, yes, but there's nothing that I have not heard before. So I started out, uh, as Sister Judy Chua shared, uh, my life condition before Christ, my turning point, and my life condition after accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. And um, I finished off with how God um, has turned my life around and how my life would have been if I had not received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And all this was done in one minute. So at the end of my sharing, um, she, she looked very much calmer, not so defensive, and she thanked me for the sharing and she said, um, I can relate to your story. So you see, it's difficult for people to get angry with us when we share our personal life story because it's a personal story anyway. And it is um, not easy for them to get their defenses up within one minute because this whole sharing is done in one minute. Many times we do not know what to share, how to start, but this tool, One Minute Witness, teaches you what to say and yet you are sharing your personal life story. So I would like to encourage everyone to go for this training. It's free and it's so simple to learn because it, you can do it in one session. You don't have to attend any four-week course or 20-hour training. This is done in one session and you'll be able to be a witness for Christ in one minute. And um, it is not our responsibility to convict convince or convert. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is just to obey and to share. So I, I want to thank God for this tool. Uh, praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Mei-chan. Yes, indeed, this is a very, very powerful faith-sharing tool, and it has changed the lives of many uh, including people like the founder, the developer of this tool, Tom Eli. He says he can preach to thousands of people, but when it comes to sharing the faith one-to-one, -one, he finds it so difficult. And I can relate to that. As a pastor, I can preach to hundreds of you, but when it comes to sitting across the table with a, a stranger, you know, I'm tongue-tied and don't know where to begin. Want to start with about heaven, want to start about hell, want to talk about, have you heard about Jesus Christ? They were closed off immediately.
But then with this tool, every day I've been sharing it already. And I find it such a joy, you know, and different, different uh, 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 responses and all that. Anybody can do it. And last night, we had Ryan, uh, Pastor Gwen's son, to share in the Saturday service. How old is uh, he? Nine plus years old. He was in the training and he went to the school, you know, and uh, he shared with his best friend. All right, a Punjabi best friend. What's the best thing that has ever happened in your life? And he followed, I think, followed the five steps, at least the initial one, definitely. And he even followed the five steps, you know. And it's so simple, so simple. All right, those of you who have been doing it, I encourage you to continue to do it. For example, last night was the latest one. You know, I was in a coffee shop, you know, and there was this guy with a beer and cigarette and all those things, you know. And I, I thought, oh, well, I finished my dinner and it was about nine something and I went over, you know, I said, hey, Enjoying the football games, yeah. So, so you know, and I, and I says, uh, uh, may I ask you a question? You know, which I ask everybody every day. And I turn around and say, hesitated for a while. And say, okay, what's the best thing that has ever happened in your life? Is it heaven? I say heaven. It has not yet happened, but I think that's going to be the best thing. I say, wow, you know, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that can, that can be the very best thing that can ever happen, you know. And, uh, that, that's very good. I said, uh, uh, but, and, and then I asked him, how, 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 how do people go to heaven? He said, I don't know, by going, doing good works or something, you know. I said, yeah, that's good, that's good. And then after that, I, I went to the next step. And he says, may I share with you the best thing that has ever happened in my life. He looked at me, he looked at the TV, he looked at me. I say, football match is on war, you know. <laughs> and uh, yesterday, who, the, the Premier League, who is playing against who, I don't know already, you know. Oh, that is, <laughs> all right. You know, no wonder MU was playing, you know, and, uh, and I said, so, but, and, and he was so engrossed in it. I said, it's okay. All right, uh, it's okay. Never mind, it's, it's fine. I said, uh, enjoy the game, you know. You don't have to push it on somebody, all right. You don't have to push it on somebody. Some are ready, some are not ready, you know. And I also learned that when the person is watching football game, hey, there's a holy cow, don't get near. You know, don't talk about anything else, you know. I think why some wives are le learning that about their husband also. You know, and they are watching a football game. Man, those are sacred moments. You don't touch them. So I just left him alone. It's fine. All right, but, uh, no, uh, uh, but at least, you know, we, we have a chance to share the gospel. So I do continue to encourage you even in this area. Praise the Lord. Now, we are talking about unstoppable love in our church here. This is our theme and I would like to continue to press on even in this series. And we are talking about the love of the Father. The love of the Father, the love of God, how wonderful, how glorious, you know, how incomparable the love of God is. And uh, I hope that you really, really experience the love of the Father and that you will share the love of the Father even with others. Today, I'd like to touch on God's, God's redeeming love. All right, it is not just the love of the Father, but God's redeeming love. And my text is taken from the book of Hosea, a very, very powerful book in the Old Testament. And uh, it's a very difficult book to comprehend, you know. And biblical scholars are kind of split as to how to interpret and understand this book. You know, some say it is just an allegory, you know. 
That means, uh, you know, uh, Hosea stands for God, Gomer stands for somebody else. It is just, it's just, it's just uh, an allegory to tell the, 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 a certain truth. Others say it is just a parable. All right? Others say it is a parable, you know, and others find it too difficult to understand. It is impossible. You know, it is impossible that God would ask Hosea to do such a kind of a thing. It is against the nature of God. And that's why they say it cannot be a real life incident. So they say it is just a, it is just a, a, a parable, an allegory, you know, and, uh, and, and others will take it in the literal sense. It is an actual story. It is an actual story. Hard as it is for us to understand, to comprehend, to receive it, and yet it actually happened. It is a life drama. And I do believe in the third category that this literally happened. It is not just a parable or an allegory. It is a real life event. And God asked Hosea to do certain things that are so strange to us but it is not strange to God. God has asked his servants many times to, to act out certain prophetic messages or declarations in order that the people of God may understand and grab it. And this is a very, very powerful story. The book of Hosea, God's redeeming love. Judd Wilhite said, the story of Hosea and Gomer is the second most powerful picture of God's love in the Bible. You want to talk about God's love, you have to look into the book of Hosea. It is the second most powerful picture of God's love in the Bible. Other than Christ's death, there is no greater picture of love. And we see here the love of God being portrayed in real life situation. When God laid his hand upon his prophet, Hosea, and asked him to do certain things that really portray the love of God. So what is this redeeming love of God? It is, first of all, a love that is unchanging. It is unbroken love from a broken heart. Many times you think that God is up there and he's no feeling, no sympathy, you know, he's unmoved. But many times you see the heart of God was broken. And love sometimes involves that kind of a cause. You know, when you love somebody, many times they break your heart into a thousand pieces. And that's how we see God's love being poured out to us in spite of everything that has happened. He still loves his people. And so, you know, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2, 2 to verse 3. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife, a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. Here we have the prophet of God. The time was around 750 BC. That was before the Assyrian invasion in 722 BC. God had to give up the people, his people, even for enemies to invade them. So in 750 BC, and uh, uh, Hosea is a contemporary of uh, the prophet Amos and the prophet Isaiah. 
God sent his people, prophet after prophet, to draw them back to himself. And so in this case here, Hosea was asked to do something very, very strange. And Hosea was asked, you know, uh, God, God asked Hosea to get married. Now that is normal enough. Okay, go and get married. You know? And Hosea, you know, is a very faithful prophet. Who should he marry? And God singled it out here. You are to marry a prostitute. A prostitute. And again here, some people begin to wonder, was Gomer a prostitute before she got married to Hosea or it was only after? Some say that when uh, uh, Hosea married Gomer, she was a virgin, you know, but most likely she was already a prostitute because that's the kind of nation that God have to deal with. And so God asked Hosea to marry Somebody that is totally different from him. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. She's a prostitute. She's a woman of the night. Hosea is a prophet. He has one heart for God. Totally sold out for God. Gomer, her heart is for other men. And so their lives are told worlds apart. And this is a relationship that is heading for a disaster. But God already spelled it out to Hosea. Go and marry a harlot and you will have children out of adultery. In other words, oh, it's going to be a, a tragic, a tragic relationship. Who would ever enter into a marriage knowing that your wife is going to be unfaithful to you? What a life illustration. Another good sermon topic for this would be the preacher and the prostitute. That would preach, isn't it? When I was a young Christian, when I was a young minister, the story of Hosea always touches my heart. And sometimes I wonder, God, you know, Sometimes I wonder, what if God asked me to marry a prostitute? That was many years ago, but even right now, what if God suddenly, what, 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 what if one day you suddenly heard news, hey, Pastor Vincent has married a prostitute. Wow, big scandal, man. Big scandal in the church. I've got nobody better. If you were to ask Hosea, why? Wouldn't the daughter of Isaiah be better? He would have chosen the daughter of Isaiah or Amos. But he married. The Bible says, you know, he went and took. In, in other words, he went and took. The, 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 the action, the reaction is immediate. No, no hesitancy at all. He immediately went and took. Obedience. I always have a heart for prostitutes because they have gone through so much. We don't know why they end up into prostitution. There are many reasons for it, perhaps. 
But really, if I'm not a pastor here in this church today, sometimes I wonder where would I be? I think I know. I'll be down, I'll be out in the streets. I'll be looking out for the gangsters. I'll be looking out for the prostitutes. I'll be looking out for the drug addicts. Their lives are smashed, destroyed. Some of them may be into this by their own choice, but others may be forced by circumstances, whatever it is. And God's heart is for these people. And so God says, marry a prostitute. In this, we see the love of God. It is unreasonable asking Hosea to marry a prostitute who will be unfaithful to him. But who can explain love? Even the love of God, you cannot explain. We think that God will love only the good people and the bad, evil people kill them, send them to hell. But that's not God. That's not God. Our God, He loves sinners. He loves not just the good people who are obedient to Him. He loves the prodigal sons and daughters who fall away wayward out of Him and some reject Him totally. But He still loves sinners and do not desire that any of them should perish. The heart of the matter is that God loves us in such a way that nothing you and I have done or will ever do will alter it. Whoever you are, the love of God reaches out to all. Stephen Curtis Chapman says in the gospel, we discover we are far worse off than we thought and far more loved than we ever dreamed. That's the love of God. In this relationship, in this marriage between Hosea and Gomer, we see God reaching out to a wayward nation. God wanting to marry them, wanting to have a relationship with a nation that has not been faithful to Him. Hosea chapter 2 verse 16, You will call me my husband. My husband, Ishi, you will no longer call me my master, barely. That's the, that's the relationship that God wants to have with us. Not just to be our master, but to be our husband. That's the relationship, intimate relationship that He desires to have with each and every one of us. Not just a master to lord over us, but a husband who loves us and we, the wife, who love him in return. Hosea 20, chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion, I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. So in that marriage between Hosea and Gomer, it is a picture of God's 
commitment of his love towards even a wayward people. It is out of a broken heart. Because the nation have rejected God, have gone away from God, and they have adulterated themselves with other gods, and yet God still reach out to them and says, I have betrothed you for myself. You see, here is a, this here is a picture of God's love for us, a betrothal, a marriage, something so very sacred. The problem with us Protestants is many times we come to church, we think, well, being part of the body of Christ is just come to church once a week, and after that I go back, I do my own thing. I live my own life. We forget that we are already covenanted, we have a covenant with God already who have betrothed us to Himself. But in the Catholic theology, it's different, especially for the priests. In the Catholic theology, they take it very, very seriously. Now, of course, for the Catholic priests, they are not supposed to marry, but actually, they are married. They take their ordination vows so, so seriously that they cannot get married to any other person because what? They are already married to Jesus Christ. And so I got news for you in that sense. I'm already married. I already married. Married for 43 years already. You all don't know, huh? I've been married to Jesus Christ for 43 years already. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are married to God. That's the truth. When God has purchased us, you, all right, whoever you are, it's not just for the pastor and the priest and all that. There's a church. The church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church. We are married to the Lord. So much so that that is the model when it comes to human marriage. In Ephesians, that is the model as Christ loved his bride, loved the church. Husband, love your wife. Wife, submit to your husband. That's the picture. This is the model of love. And the model of love is God's love for us. Married himself to us. So let's remain faithful. But are we faithful to Christ? Are we? God's love is relentless, number two. It is tough love. In this case here, you find that, hi, Gomer was not faithful. God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carve images. Look at the heart of God. He said, I love Israel. Out of Egypt, I called, but they worshiped Baals. I taught Ephraim to walk taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped, I fed them. My, but my people, my people are 
banned on backsliding from me. Oh, God's heart was so broken. But this is the relentless love of God because they chose that way. They chose to walk out on God. They chose to be unfaithful to God. God let them go. God's faithless wife. That was Israel. A faithless wife. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Look at the faithfulness of Israel. Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. Comes and goes. No faithfulness at all. God could not find faithfulness in his wife. Israel. The people that he has called out of Egypt. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they have played the harlot against their God. They have played the harlot against their God. They have prostituted themselves with other gods. And friends, that's the crux of it all. The marriage of Hosea with Gomer is not to, to teach us that we can marry anybody. No. The standard of God is there. But rather, this is a story of the unfaithfulness of mankind towards a God who have loved us and have given everything for us. And yet, we are unfaithful. If there is one thing that characterizes Gomer, what kind of a woman was she? There's one word, unfaithful. And unfaithfulness will break any marriage. No marriage will last when there is unfaithfulness. A marriage is built upon trust and faithfulness till death do us part. But when one partner is unfaithful, that's where a lot of problems begin to come in. And you understand, the harlotry here, prostitution here, we are talking about is in a spiritual sense as far as God and Israel and us as a people of God is concerned. Hosea, in the book of Hosea, God's people are unfaithful. They were cheating on God. And so there was Hosea married to Gomer and he took her as his wife. And what was she doing? She was always looking back. She was casting glances on other men. Friends, that's the picture that you get of unfaithfulness. And in the Bible, this kind of unfaithfulness is called spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. My people have committed spiritual adultery. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another. Another. One with agape, unconditional love. The other one is a hand of death. But Gomer 
would hold both hands. Unfaithfulness, spiritual adultery. In today's world, what is adultery? Without being too livid about this, I think this is what adultery is. You get a picture of adultery? There you are with your lover, with your spouse. But behind the back, your hand is holding somebody else's hand. That is adultery. And so here was Gomer, married to Hosea. He's the most, he is the most kind-hearted man, very patient, most loving man. The kind of husband that every woman, woman would like to marry. But she, on the other hand, was unfaithful. And this is what happened. They have children. The product of unfaithfulness. Now, Gomer symbolizes the unfaithfulness of Israel. And each of her children will become a symbol of what unfaithfulness produced. When there's unfaithfulness in a marriage, when there's unfaithfulness in relationship, there will be the product, consequences of unfaithfulness. And the three children of Hosea symbolizes all that. The first child, the first son is named Jezreel. God says you shall name him Jezreel. And this is not a good name at all. It is like... It is like naming your child Holocaust, Armageddon. You know, it is a place of destruction. You don't want to be remembered for that, but that is what it is. God says, I have scattered my people. Scattered. Now here we are told that this is a son of Hosea. This is from, you know, uh, from, from, uh, 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 from, his, from his own uh, 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 lineage. You know, this is a son of Hosea. But the second product of unfaithfulness is condemnation. You shall call her Lord Ruhama. And it's not mentioned that this is a daughter of Hosea. Most likely, this is from another man, not Hosea's son. You shall call her Lord Ruhama. Law means not Ruhama mercy. That means no mercy, no affection, not pity at all, condemnation. And those who are, you know, who, those who commit spiritual adultery, or even in real life, those who commit adultery, there is the scatter, <coughs> there is the scattering, <coughs> there's no power in your life, in your family, there is condemnation, there is always the guilt feeling, condemnation that plagues the family. And the third product of unfaithfulness is estrangement. You shall call him Lo-Ami. And again, this is not mentioned as a son of, of uh, Hosea. Most likely, this is maybe from another man. Can you just imagine the unfaithfulness? And that's why many people find it, it's difficult to take it. How, how, how does God allow this kind of teaching lessons from the life of Hosea, his prophet? Loami, lo means not, am means people, me, my, not my people. 
totally estranged. And that's what happens when there is adultery in the family. Whether husband or whether wife, you know, is the one who is unfaithful, there is the estrangement. You feel drifted apart. You are separated. And, 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 and when one party commits adultery, you know, you are not my husband, you are not my wife. No, you know, and, 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 and teens will just blow up and destroy the family. And God says, this is what happens from the three children of Hosea and Gomer. But in spite of all of that, God has mercy. He still reaches out to them. And he says, I will change all of that. Now you are called Jezri, now you are called Loruhama, now you are called Loami. But I'm going to change your names. I will have mercy on those who have no mercy. Loruhama. And I will say to Loami, not my people, you are my people. Take away the law, L-O. You have Ruhama and you have Ami means mercy and my people. In spite of the unfaithfulness of Gomer, God still holds out a hope for his people. But what about us today? God views idolatry as spiritual adultery. Do Christians have an idol problem? Oh yeah, we do. Have we been faithful to our God? Or have we committed spiritual adultery? I must admit, I have committed spiritual adultery at times. When I put myself, my needs, my wants, and whatever I have or what I do above God, that is an idol already. The idol of cash, the idol of children, career, clothing, shop, 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 till you drop. Property, oh, we are so, we got so, you know, sometimes, you know, God bless us with property and good houses, but we spend so much time taking care of the house and the property that we have no time for Him. There is already adultery. I mean, God will bless us with children. But if the children take up all our time until we have no time for God to even spend one, you know, uh, five minutes with Him and the Word, then hey, we have already committed spiritual adultery. Possessions, pets, yes, even pets. Some of us spend so much time on, 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 on pets and yet we don't have time for God and, and the things of God. Friends, sports, Premier League, and so, and so on and so forth. Hey, these are the idols in our life. We may not be bowing down to, to gods and goddesses, you know, the Hindu gods or the, or the Buddhists and all those things. But when we have all these things in our heart, idols of the heart, it's as bad as the others. Anything, anyone that takes a higher place than God is our idol. And we are committing spiritual adultery. And that's a problem that God has with his people. We say that we are married to Christ, we love Christ. But in our life, in our affection, in our priorities, we place him way, way below other things. Are there idols, idols in your life? While God is loving you, 
Are you holding hands with idol? God has poured out his love when we were nobody, when we were sinners. He loved us. He called us to himself. He entered into a covenant of faithfulness with us and he has blessed us. We receive all the blessings, but we still hold hands with idols. May God deliver us. May God set us free from idols in our life. And the third thing we notice here is God's love never gives up. And so, Gomer committed adultery. She left Hosea. Hosea was heartbroken. But Hosea got no choice and she committed adultery with other men until her life was totally ruined. That's the relentless love of God. It's severe, you know, but if men choose to go their own way, God allows them. They suffer the consequences and within 30 years, the Assyrian army would come and destroy even the northern kingdom. The 10 nations, uh, uh, the, the 10 tribes of, of, uh, of Israel. There is the Judah, the southern kingdom. They will, destroy, they will be destroyed much later. But here, God's love still never gives up even on his people. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8 to 9. How can I give you up, Ephraim? What powerful words. How can I ever give you up? Any husband would just allow Gomer to go off. Some would even say she deserves stoning. Stone her to death. That's the price for adultery. But God says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Atma? How can I set you like Zebulun? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God. And not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. So God says, I would give up. And what did God ask? What? God cannot give up. God has requirement. He is a God of holiness. That's why He must punish Israel for her sins. Allow her to go into adultery. And, this, and, and like Gomer, she suffered at the hands of men and the idols. But God is a God of justice. But God is also a God of love. And that's why to satisfy His, His holiness and justice, He must make a way to express that love. So what did what did God asked Hosea to do. Then the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. At this time, Gomer has gone out. And Hosea is asked to go and love her again. 
just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved the raising cakes of the pagans. So, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. It seems that Goma, her life is wasted and ruined. Yes, she have had two, three children for, for, for Hosea. But after that, she has slept with so many men. They use her, they abuse her. And after that, her life was destroyed. Actually, her name, Goma, means excellent, beautiful, perfect. But now, she is far from that. Her life is totally destroyed until she was wasted and nobody wanted her anymore. Nobody wanted her anymore. Her usefulness is gone. Her usefulness is gone. Her beauty is gone. Until she ended up in the ocean block to be sold off as a slave. And that was the bit there the bidding starts. She was a wretch. Bidding started, one shekel, who will give me one shekel for it? Three shekels, who will give me three shekels for it? The bidding went up until maybe 10 shekels and it stopped. It's not worth much. She's not worth much anymore. The, the price of just a female slave until somebody at the back shouted, 15 shekels! 15 shekels! And one and a half homers of barley, altogether maybe about 30 shekels. And that's a good price. And everybody was surprised. Who would pay such a big price for this worthless woman? But Gomer recognized that voice, the voice of the one who have loved her. That's the price of, a, of not a female slave, but of a male slave. And, and he bought her. Can you just imagine? Buying back your wife. That's the depth of his love. And he says, be faithful to me. Stay with me. That's the only condition. God's greater desire, greatest desire is to reconcile a people for himself, redeem a people for himself. That's the desire of God. D.G. Gordon, at one time, he went behind the pulpit and preached and he had a bird cage, an old iron bird cage he put on the pulpit to illustrate his sermon. There was this time when he went down the streets of India and there was a little boy who was carrying the cage and he was swirling it around and there were some tiny birds inside frightened like anything. And then after that, he just put it down and sat down and Gordon went over to him and says, uh, where do you get these birds? You know, I trapped them, you know. What are you going to do with these birds? 
Gordon asked him. No, I'm just going to have fun with them, you know. And Gordon asked, after you have had fun with them, I'm sure you'll go tired soon. And what are you going to do with those birds? Well, I have, cats, I have, I have a cat at home and my, and my cat loves to, likes to eat birds. I'll, I'll feed these birds to, to my cat. So what? You're going to sell these birds? He said, no, no. I'll pay for it. How much will you sell these birds to me? And the boy thought and said, $2. And Gordon took out $2 and gave him. And he took the cage and the birds, went to a different place and released the bird and let the bird free. And after that, he told a story. That's how, that's what Satan did to us in the Garden of Eden. He baited humankind and put them into a cage. And there was a negotiation between Jesus Christ and Satan. And Jesus asked Satan, what are you going to do with these human beings that you have put in a cage? He says, I'm going to play with them. They will get married and they will get divorced. They will hate each other. They will kill one another. They will throw bombs at each other. And after you have played with them, what are you going to do? I'm going to kill them one by one. I'm going to kill them all. They are worthless beings anyway. And Jesus says, I'll buy them. How much will you sell them to me? Satan says, no, you don't want them. These are useless people. If you buy them from me, they are only going to spit at you. They are, going to, they are going to put a nail into your hands. They are going to crucify you. They are going to kill you. They will not appreciate you. Jesus says, how much? Well, if you insist, it's going to cost you your very sweat and your very blood. Jesus says, I will do it. And he purchases. He purchases. And he opened the door of the cage and set us human beings free. Redeemed. That's what we are, friends. We are redeemed. The word redemption is a very powerful one. That means he has purchased us. And friends, if you miss everything else in this sermon, don't miss this thing. The love of God is manifested in order to redeem us. It is a redeeming love. A redeeming love he paid with the very price of himself. God redeemed the human race when we were still spitting in his face. That's what also what Chambers say. Just like God, just like Hosea, redeemed, purchased, Goma. Here God has redeemed us. Galatians 3, 13 to 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We have been redeemed. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And now you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. We have been redeemed and given a new life. Oh, Hosea, redeem this Goma. We do not know the end of the story, but there are promises of restoration from broken 
to brand new. That's what God can do with your life. From brokenness, from condemnation, from being scattered, from being unfruitful, God promises to bless us if we will just remain faithful to Him. We are, everybody say, I'm love, accepted, complete, and known. Hallelujah. God has redeemed us. God has redeemed us. Hallelujah. So let's love Him back with all our hearts. Let's get back to the God who will not give up on us and God will not give up on others, other gomers who are out there. May we share the love of God with them as well. For Hosea is not just preaching a story. He paid, he experienced it with his very own life. Maybe that's the reason why he's such a powerful prophet. His book is quoted nine times in the New Testament because he proclaimed the love of God. He felt it. He went through it. There was a compassion in his heart. You heard about the one-minute story? One-minute witness is about sharing the story, but with a compassion. Now, it's not just taking anybody and just tell a story and do my job, that's it. No, but looking at them with a heart of love. These are the gomers. These are those who have idols in their life. And some are literal idols. But God loves them. And God sent us as His prophet to call them back unto Himself. And these are the promises, my friend. Let me close with this verse. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us that we may live in His presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him as surely as the sun rises. He will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. That's the promise of God for everyone who will return. Give your whole heart to Him. Choose to love the Lord your God. Walk with Him. Love Him. Love the people of God. And serve Him with all your heart. For this is God's redeeming love for each and every one of us. He has redeemed us for Himself. You belong to Him. Commit your life to Him. Let's pray.